Thank you so much for joining us in this particular session. I think it's of utmost importance for all of us to think about what the future holds for our industry, as well as what it holds for each and every one of us. So coming to talk to us right now about what your job will look like in 20 years um, is Trinesha Vrandaya, the digital content editor of Kaya FM. Can we give him a warm round of applause, please? Good morning, everybody. Um, as Felicia introduced me, my name is Trinisha. I'm the digital content editor for Kaya. And a big part of my job is understanding digital and radio and how those two worlds integrate and what it means for people who have been in the industry for years and years and years and what it means for people who are coming into the industry in a world that is rapidly changing. So a little while ago, um, if you were doing a lot of research like I was and you were on YouTube, you would have discovered a lot of videos that look like this. Once upon a time, business as usual was often good enough. No more. Where we are going, good enough is dead. In a world where everything is connected, where everything is equally excellent, where performance is reaching perfection, there's only one space left to innovate in. You. Right now, you are a central point in the raging tornado of change fueled by digitization, mobilization, augmentation, disintermediation, automation. Well, the list goes on. Science fiction is becoming science fact. Think about self-driving cars or computers that can learn and think. The way we work will never be the same. The skills we need will be dramatically different. Winning or losing are now happening faster than ever before. So what's your response? How will you discover new opportunities in one of the most transformational times in human history? Are you driving change or are you being driven by it? Disruption has become the new normal. With change, it's always gradually, then suddenly, well, things really have stopped happening gradually. This change is exponential. Everything that used to be dumb and disconnected is now wired and intelligent. Cars, cities, ports, farms, even our bodies will be wired with sensors and will talk to each other. These game changers are also combinatorial. They amplify each other, creating a perfect storm of change. Quantum computing fuels big data. The Internet of Things fuels artificial intelligence and deep learning, which fuels robotics. However, anything that cannot be digitized or automated will become extremely valuable. Human-only traits such as creativity, imagination, intuition, emotion and ethics will be even more important in the future because machines are very good at simulating but not at being. Yes, robots and software will do some of our work, but this will allow us to focus on things that cannot be automated. To imagine change squared, you've got to start engaging more with what might be, not just with what is. Immerse yourself in the immediate future, five to seven years out from today. We need to go beyond technology and data to reach human insights and wisdom. Technology
technology represents the how of change, but humans represent the why. The future is about holistic business model. The opportunity is to be liquid, to learn just in time, not just in case, not single improvements, but complete transformations, not individual systems, but new ecosystems. Humanity is where true and lasting value is created. We will engage late and buy things because of the experiences they provide, because of their transformative power. The future doesn't just happen, the future gets happened. The new way to work is to embrace technology, but not to become it. The future is in technology, yet the bigger future lies in transcending it. Let's live and lead from here. So if you visit YouTube frequently enough, you'd probably find thousands of videos like that. And what is the reality that we're facing? So I was lucky enough to have taken a trip to Silicon Valley last year. And um, I visited Tesla and Google and all the places who are leading these changes. And when I got back, I was excited. And I was full of energy and I was like, yes, we're going to change everything. And um, what I was met with was the reality of the context that we live in and how, while change is happening at an exponential level across the world, what's happening at a micro level is that the progress of that change is incremental. So, obviously, there are varying levels across industry, there are various, uh, varying levels across countries, or across skill levels. And what does that mean for leaders in the space or people in the media industry? What is our starting point? Because the reality is we have talked about progress and changed for a very long time. Um, there's a post from the Washington Post, January 1935, robot brains outdo man's mind in speed and accuracy of results. So the narrative about change coming and progress has been around for a while. How do we take this and what does it mean for where we are today? And how do we take the broader context and apply it practically to our organizations in terms of the future of work, the skills needed, how we work, and creating um, smarter ways of doing things that have impacted the media industry. So how has digitization impacted us? One of the first ways has been um, content on demand models and the behavior around media consumption across the world, where everything is easily accessible now, users have access to content, they have control over content, but what does it mean for us in terms of your brand presence and where you're making your content available? So listening to the radio is one method, but expanding into podcasting or visual content is another method because people are accessing content from different platforms. And so ultimately, digital has impacted the content on demand and therefore impacted media and radio. We've also now kind of gotten to a point where integrity of information has become a real issue. Fake news spreads like wildfire the responsibility media has in terms of um, sort of becoming a leader in, in the space of what the integrity of information is, is that we need to understand why it's important for us to disseminate information in a way that is authentic. So the consequences of fake news is that bad information spreads faster than good information. 
We also have users in social media who share content without thinking, and that has an impact. We look at um, how easily fake stories spread, and whether that kind of dissemination of information is healthy for the industry as a whole. Digitization has also impacted data. So we have a lot of data that we can use, and it's not very really clear on how to use that data to drive content, uh, content insights. For example, um, understanding social media trends and using insights that come out of social media, so hashtags specifically, understanding what happens with your content when it's driven out there, and how to use that data to then drive future content decisions. So if you make decisions on programming, on extensions on social media, on video platforms, or in extending what you're trying, the messages you're trying to pass, are you using data effectively enough to tell you whether your audience is are becoming responsive to that information, or are we still shooting in the dark in terms of what people need, what people require, what they're trying to understand, how they're consuming content, and what the broader picture is for media and the integration of data into driving strategic content decisions and strategic de decisions about where to disseminate our content. So there are a few blind spots, um, and changes in media consumption means changes in people capability. One of the things that has been overlooked during the transformation and the digital age is its impact on people. Other than conversations on automation and people losing their jobs, have we paused to ask ourselves a question around capability building and what are we doing to help people cope with the pace of change? And that's a very broad question, but it starts with where are we getting our skills? So what are people learning and who are they learning from? Looking at South Africa's education model, our hiring models, and our HR models within organizations, we're still very traditionally based. So the model is linear in that you need to have a lot of organizations still hire in terms of looking at a qualified education or a degreed education, as opposed to looking at somebody's capabilities and their skills and their aptitude profile and what that would bring into an organization in terms of responding to the digital transformation and the change. So what we, we ultimately need to look at is finding the balance between qualifications and skills. And a big example of this are um, open online course platforms that exist, like the Digital Skills Academy, Udemy, and Coursera, where the skills needed within the industrial, fourth industrial revolution are made available. But the issue that we face is the accreditation of those courses and how HR people would generally just invalidate something because it doesn't have an NQF level. What is the broader impact of that? So within the South African education system, we put together courses that have, they are valid, they have value, but they are often not integrated in the approach between theoretical and pra practical knowledge. And part of what is happening with the change in the indu fourth industrial revolution is that the practical skills needed to respond are changing. So having a specialized role um, is not as important as it used to be. And I think that from the perspective of having HR people look at a person who comes into an organization holistically, 
I don't know if there are any HR people or managers in the room, but when you're hiring people, how many of you look at digital competencies in an HR person or digital competencies in a person who's not going to be in your digital team? How many? Cool. So one person in the room. But it's, it's, it's something that you need to look at because part of what is happening is individuals and people coming into the, market, into the job market are going to be required to have more than one skill in order to do their jobs. So you're going to need journalists in your newsrooms who are able to produce multimedia content. And what does that mean? It means that they're going to need to understand how to uh, cut sound, how to produce video, how to potentially design infographics, how to disseminate that media on social media, what is good practice for social media, and those kinds of things. You're going to need a full, a full scale of, of, of skills in order to participate in this, in this change and stay relevant. And a lot of that isn't happening because our HR models are still the same. So we create a role and we look at it being a specialized thing, but never take into account what other digital skills needed across an organization for that person to participate in, in, in what is happening in the world. It is also the way we work and collaborations, specifically around do we still work in organizations where it's difficult to make decisions, where it's counterintuitive to innovation and creative thinking, where a lot of our approach to what we do and how we operate is, tri is still triangular and top-down. What does it mean when I'm somebody who needs to respond to what is happening on social media immediately, but my sub-editor or my boss still needs to edit my tweet? What is that doing to our ability to respond to change effectively enough um, while things are happening because the speed of information is disseminating so quickly? And how are we looking at these work models and operational structures and changing them so that they become more flexible and not as hierarchical as they used to be? So the traditional model of work where it's top-down and um, structurally it just makes sense that all decisions come from the top and not from the bottom is a very disempowering way to engage with the, with the way content and media is changing. Are we looking at whether people have the right skills? And are they limited to traditional ways of working? So the technology has also brought in forms and ways of collaboration. It has brought in the ability to break down silos and to create teams that are integrated through, the, through platforms that allow for cloud working. So for example, have we questioned whether still working via email and reading email is the best way to do things when you have platforms like Slack that allow you to create collaborative work, work groups for projects and therefore break down silos within organizations, specifically around the speed of information and, and how quickly people need to work and respond to what is actively happening. So the siloed approach to working is changing. We need to look at our HR models around skills and what is what is more practical approach and why it's important for everybody across the organization to be digitized not just in their skills but in their thinking. Um, we have a challenge and the challenge is getting rid of legacy thinking in terms of transformation and digital. 
Um, it runs across what we need to do with allowing new people into the workforce, especially our millennial, millennial generation. They come in with a certain set of expectations, and a big part of that is mobility in terms of their jobs. So, for example, flexibility in working hours, the need to have access and the ability to do your job via your mobile phone, which is something that we don't really consider. Um, we're still largely desk-focused and needing people to be at the office from 8 to 5 o'clock in order to say that they've productively done their work. But how do we expand that work model and what does it look like when we have mobile people who are still able to, do, to deliver their key, key outputs, but just not from an office and not from an office base? How does technology enable people to work in smarter ways and what does that look like for us as a future? And the opportunity is a lobby for collaboration. I think a lot of what happens in organizations and within the industry is we compete with each other and we don't share. But whatever impacts happen across media will impact the industry as a, as a whole. And this gives us an opportunity to collaborate in terms of how we share information, in terms of how we work as a model, in terms of what is adaptive, in terms of business models and the content that we're delivering across media. We also have the potential to change, to change thinking and to lead, the, to, lead, to lead the country and the continent through this change. Thank you. Um, does, are there any questions? Are there any questions? How important is something like community management um, for you guys, and how do you do it with limited resources as well? Okay. I mean, so, you can't, to, mm -hmm. to get back to every single message that comes across all the different platforms, you probably need a, a team of about 20 people. So part of that is looking at how do you integrate your social media and digital platforms. And I think a lot of the, um, so some of the challenges are that when you take a third party integration tool, you have issues with either Facebook's API or they don't want you to, to work from a back end or you have issues with Twitter's API, they don't want you to do that. But it's about centralizing how you do your community management. If you have a small team with limited resources, the best strategy would be to, um, decide on what your turnaround time is going to be, because I think that immediate responses are not always possible, but the shorter your time frame in responding means better community management. So if you set your team a target, for example, we're going to take a maximum of four hours as a milestone to respond to all our messages, and our, um, our gold star sort of target would be one hour. And that would be the, the framework that you set for your team in, in terms of how they should respond. So it's once a day for four hours, that's what the, per the person in your team is doing, is community management. And then you know you've made your target um, in terms of it not being such a long time having taken to respond, but also that it's happening you know, in, in, in a more integrated way. And the best way to drown out the noise, because let's be honest, there's a lot of rubbish that comes in that doesn't 
necessarily need a response? So I think that's a very interesting question, actually. So um, it would obviously depend on what is your objective for community management on social media. So um, it's understanding what questions you need to answer. Who are the people in your audience that you really value? What do you value about what they're asking you? And how does that integrate into what you're trying to achieve with people? So the value for um, people engaging with you on social media is obviously there's an interest in content, there's an interest in your brand. People obviously come to you for information, for what they need. Um, people are storytellers, so you often get people coming in telling you their life stories, wanting to uh, write an article or be on shows. And you've got to be able to disseminate whether the information, as much as we want to value social audiences, we have to understand what value they bring for our brand as well. And it's very easy to disseminate when you're clear on those objectives. So if you're looking for people and user-generated content, then you understand your community management in terms of user-generated content. So I will respond to these because they are priority. But I'm not going to respond to somebody who um, is send me, sending me sensationalized news, for example, because that is just not within our strategy. It's not something that we stand for. It's not something that we value. The other thing is creating a content bank of responses because we often just get overwhelmed with, what, with what's happening and there's, there's too much information coming in. Um, so a standard response bank, where you have about 10 or 15 standard responses. If somebody sends uh, query A, this is how we respond. If they send something for HR, this is how we respond. So a lot of the manual time in terms of community management is taken away because you copy-paste, dear whoever, this is how we respond to that HR kind of query. And that takes a large chunk of the work out when you have a standard response bank that's been approved by your brand person or by your communications person um, or your PR person. And so it's not going to get you any backlash for saying the wrong thing because that's also something to consider when messages go out and they just create a lot of chaos, more chaos than necessary. Eyewitness News. Um, just, just speaking to the evolution and the increased uh, presence of different social media platforms, so Instagram is obviously you know, evolving into Instagram TV. From an organizational perspective, oh, to which extent should we be evolving to you know, in engaging with those media spaces to increase our followership in many ways? Um, it more or less could combat your ENCAs. To, to an extent, because people will now be able to see news bulletin style from a video perspective, mm -hmm. um, as they will, rather than watching an eight o'clock bulletin or a nine o'clock bulletin. And from a personal brand, uh, from a reporter point of view, to what extent should we be engaging with those? Because obviously there's Twitter, Facebook is more personal. People will be coming to us more as, as reporters as well. So from an organizational perspective, how should we be engaging with these um, new media platforms? And from a personal reporter perspective, to what extent should we be engaging with these as well? Thanks very much. Thank you for the question. So. There's a lot of things to consider when you're making a decision like that. And one of the biggest things is starting something and then not being able to finish it because it's evolving so fast and tomorrow there's a new platform and there's a better way of doing things. And should we go back to YouTube or should we start a Facebook watch channel or what is it that we're actually trying to achieve? And uh, um, the answers to that lie in your data insights and your audience insights. It's also in the fact that visual content and video content is becoming 
more and more important. By 2020, 75% of all online content will be video content. And a big part of that then brings into the conversation is how do you go in that direction, specifically in a world that is not time sensitive anymore? So like you said, waiting for an eight o'clock bulletin when you can go on and watch it online. It ultimately depends on what you're trying to achieve. And if your goal is about reaching audiences or building a new audience or creating a niche audience through the use of social media, then that is the right direction for you. But it, take, it requires a detailed level of planning and strategy, specifically around content rollout. Because the one thing that causes new channels to fail is the inconsistency of uploads and the inconsistency of engagement with users. So you will upload a video at 8 o'clock today, and tomorrow you'll do it at 3 o'clock, and the next day you won't do it. And it what it creates is, is a distrust between you and the user, and the credibility of your brand starts going down. So in terms of scheduling and content planning, that would be a major part to consider when you want to roll out something like that. Um, it is also important to consider it as a long-term goal, because you're not going to get the audience overnight and engaging or, or creating that expectation that the audience is going to be there overnight is also just setting yourself up for failure. So from a content perspective, clear goals and objectives. What am I going to do with this platform? Is it going to be dedica dedicated to a specific kind of content type? Is it going to be dedicated to news bulletins only? Are we going to do add-ons? What are the clear objectives for that? Because when you know that, you understand what type of audience you're trying to attract. And therefore, when you get your data insights, you will see whether you are attracting the right kind of audience and how then those data insights influence the content that you put out. Um, from a personal level, I think it's always important to engage with social media and um, whichever platform you choose, the one thing you need to maintain is your credibility and the reliability of your information, especially if you're a journalist, because it's very easy to lose integrity when you send out something that is not verifiable, or you put out content irresponsibly, for example, you just send out a, a graphically violent video. A couple of weeks ago, I'm not sure if anybody saw the video, um, that was recorded of a diplomat's bodyguard in Pretoria shooting somebody who attacked him in the head. Um, so there's an incident. Allegedly, a man attacked a US diplomat. His bodyguard jumped out of the car and shot him in the head. And he was laying on the ground dead, like brains literally splattered on the floor. And the response of the people around him, instead of calling for help or checking if the man was okay, was standing there with a phone and taking the picture and just sending it out on social media. What is that kind of behavior doing to us as a society? If you're a journalist or you're somebody in media, what is your responsibility when it comes to content like that? And if you are engaging with content at that level, you know, what, what does it mean? What does it actually mean? So I think ultimately, when you're engaging on these platforms, it's about your personal responsibility, it's about responsibility to the organization that you work for, and it's about clearly understanding what you're trying to achieve through the content that, you se through, through the content that you're sending out. Right, well, thank you so much, Tunisha, for your insightful session. Can we give her one last round of applause, please?